Welcome back to the 145th episode of the Daily Flip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and today we're going to be flipping through some of the top stories, including activists getting outraged at the Biden administration for giving a little bit of extra money, and a a lot of extra money, to carbon capture projects. The sue-and-settle model may be the way that the Biden implements regulations from now on, especially at the EPA, and then a very sad story coming out of Kansas, which we'll discuss at the end. Of course, we will finish today with our daily delight, a story meant to leave you feeling positive and ready to take on the day. Now, that's enough rambling from me. Let's jump in to our daily debate. So it's kind of a big question and then a bigger question on top of that. At what point do we stifle innovation? At what point do we limit our innovation in order to stop moving forward in a way that we think may be a little bit unjustified morally? And then the other question is, if that moving forward, if that innovation will actually help and stop one of the problems that we see that are being exacerbated by promoting that innovation then is it morally justified in order to keep going and actually keep innovating and then possibly get the run-on benefits of that innovation? And this will come into context a little bit more when we get into this first story, but it's an interesting question. It's just something that I wanted to pose to everybody. So, a little brief note before we get into that. I am in my new apartment in Kentucky, and if I sound tired, it's because I was up late moving and putting everything together. So, Thank you for being patient with me. I may stumble a little bit here and there, but we are going to truck on through. So let's jump to our first story that comes from Common Dreams. Green groups slam Biden admin for awarding $1 billion in unproven carbon capture projects. So for those of you who do not know, carbon capture is an idealized, or in the ideal form, is a system where we actually take the carbon that is currently in our atmosphere, we suck it out, and then we're able to use it for a whole bunch of different processes. Maybe we put it into graphene, and we have superstructures and this great nano structure material that could be used for a whole bunch of things that could actually be more conductive than copper. It could possibly be put into like nanotubes, and it could be a great structural piece of material. There are other applications that haven't fully been fleshed out either. But it is this idea that, hey, we are going to take this extra carbon, all this extra carbon that we've been putting in the atmosphere, and even the natural carbon that's put out by trees, and we are going to filter it out of the air so that we are going to limit the amount of effect it has on our climate, or at least that's the ideal goal of carbon capture. Now, these activists. Why are they going up against the Biden administration? I could summarize it very, very briefly, which is they think that it's going to promote fossil fuel usage because, hey, if they can just keep polluting the skies and we can just keep pulling out the carbon from the air, then why would they worry about cutting back their emissions and moving towards a more green source of energy? And I think that is an interesting concern. I think that that actually has some valid points. If the incentive structure is there and they can get away with still doing, and I say get away, if they can keep producing the oil and gas and the coal and burning it like they are in order to create energy and then not have to face the negative repercussions of climate change, then they're probably going to do it because of carbon capture. If carbon capture allows them to take all that excess carbon they just put out there 
into the atmosphere out, and they're basically having a net zero effect, then why not? I don't, I don't necessarily see why that's a bad argument, but I also don't see why that is a bad thing. If they take all the carbon out of the atmosphere that they just put into the atmosphere, imagine what we could do with that. Maybe not with gas, because it would be a lot more difficult to synthesize gas from carbon, but in theory, we probably could put that extra carbon into a location in the ground or maybe a high-pressure chamber and somehow synthesize coal or another more clean, because it would just be pure carbon, burning version of fuel. So then we could use that. It's more energy efficient, or I take that back. It is more pure in its form. Energy efficient is a little bit tricky because as these activists point out, one of the main things with this carbon capture system is it is unproven. And when they say unproven, it's not that, oh, we can't do it. It's that right now it is not economically or even electricity-wise feasible in order to have these plants. It sucks up so much electricity in order to actually pull the carbon out of the air that if you're doing it and you're not actually using less electricity or you're using less carbon than that electricity that you're using produces in order to pull carbon out of the air. If that sum is less that you pull out of the air than the amount of energy and therefore carbon that was emitted to produce or create or allow the process of pulling it out of the air, then it's actually not doing anything. It's not actually a net benefit. You're just pulling carbon out of the air to pull carbon out of the air. Now, it could be argued that pulling a little bit of carbon out of the air is most definitely worth it, but it it would be unsustainable. I mean, long-term, if you are using more carbon or carbon fuel sources in order to power a machine that's supposed to limit the amount of carbon in the atmosphere, it's kind of self-defeating. But then there's the opposite argument. There's these. There's this other flip side to it, which is the first thing that really came to my mind when I read this article, which is even if I 100% believed you that carbon capture doesn't need to be put in place, that it is a type of innovation that we don't necessarily want, it is, and I agree that it is unproven. I do agree with that point. The only way to flesh it out, the only way to understand whether it will be truly untenable, the only way to make it proven is in order to actually not necessarily put federal money into it, but still to innovate. And maybe that's where the activists are really getting pissy, which is, hey, it's Joe Biden putting government money and subsidizing it. If private corporations want to waste a thousand or a million or billions of dollars on R&D, let them go ahead. But the Biden administration shouldn't necessarily be stepping in here. And from a pure limited government point of view, I could definitely understand that argument. It's would honestly, the progressives kind of, if they were taking that tact, would sound like a Milton Friedman or a Hayek, which is limit the amount of government subsidy of different programs because it's actually disrupting the free market. If the free market sees a point for carbon capture, then companies are going to invest lots of money in it because they know that it will be fruitful down the line. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of these big corporate brands that are focused more on fossil fuels, I wouldn't be surprised if they started doing some carbon capture research themselves, seeing how tenable it would be, even maybe adding carbon capture sections to their plant, or maybe even having the exhaust goes straight over to the plant with some of their subsidized partners to actually burn the coal or the gas or 
the oil. Maybe, maybe that's something that they could do in the future, and maybe it's something they're looking into because there's a market incentive there, but maybe not. And I think that when Joe Biden's throwing money behind this, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I try to give a lot of people the benefit of the doubt. I think that he genuinely wants to help the environment, and he sees this technology as a part of that future. And that is why he's willing to subsidize it, or at least give lots of money. But I know I said I would actually quote from the article, or at least I would talk more directly from the article, rather than just ranting at you. I was trying to give a preface, and then... Well, it didn't really turn into a simple explanation now, did it? So let's jump into one quote before we move on to our next article. And I want to talk more about the derision because I've already explained the forefront of everything. So let's actually talk about the process of getting that money and why some activists aren't necessarily liking it. Quote, Climate Justice Policy Director Basav Sen at the Institute of Policy Studies, accused the Biden administration of playing cynical political games of squandering public funds on unproven, expensive, and politically potentially dangerous schemes such as direct air capture, purportedly a gain to gain credibility for fighting back on climate solutions while doubling down on expanding fossil fuels. The grants were announced days after President Joe Biden angered campaigners by claiming that, practically speaking, he has already declared a climate emergency, despite his approval earlier this year of a massive oil drilling project in Alaska and his recent proposal to update rules for, but not end, fossil fuel leasing on public land. So you can see these activists are not really, end of quote, by the way, you can see that these activists are not happy with Joe Biden. They see him, and they're saying, you're not going far enough. You're really just in the middle on these issues. You're politically captured. You probably have some dollar donors. If I was an activist, I would assume, or if I was on that side of the aisle and in that headspace, I would assume that one of the arguments for the, oh no, he is just politically captured. He has some big dollar donors that really like fossil fuels, and that's why Biden's not coming through for us. But I can't speak for all of them. That would just be an assumption based on all of the progressive reading or reading of progressive news that I've happened to do over the course of almost an entire year now. But that is just a guess. So we know that they're pissed at him for this, but there's also different ways that he has helped these activists and allowed them to have a little bit more influence over certain policies, even though they don't like all of his moves. And that's exactly what this next article is about that comes from the Washington Examiner. Sue and Settle. Business is booming at Biden's EPA. So for those of you who are not aware, there is a process for putting regulations on the books. They have to submit their potential rules for a comment period, and then they maybe look at the comments and say, oh, well, you know, that's actually a good point. Uh, Maybe we need to adjust this here. And then they can either resubmit the rule for more comments once they've adjusted it, or they can go on to the part where they're trying to make it a regulation, where once it's on out again, they have to do another comment period before, after they've made all or even more changes. And, you know, there's a, there's a long, long process to it. 
And the reason that that is a problem to some bureaucrats or to some activists is because it is such a long process, and it's out in the open. That's what Washington Examiner is trying to argue here, that the fact that these regulations, when they have to put them on the books, when they have to put them out for these comment periods, it takes a long time because the standard comment period is 30 days. You have time to comment on any of these bureaucratic or administrative agencies' websites on these new regulations for 30 days. So for some activists, this feels like it's way too long. And for the people who are in the administration that maybe aren't necessarily activists, but they have a strong belief that a certain type of regulation wants to get through and they know certain people aren't going to like it, they don't like the idea that there's a public commenting period where they have to create their rule out in the open. Or at least that's what Washington Examiner is arguing here. So I think that it's it's an interesting point of view. I think it's a little bit cynical, but that doesn't mean that it's not true, and it doesn't mean that the practices that they're talking about here haven't started to tick up, or at least the tendency that these sort of thing happens hasn't ticked up during the Biden administration versus the Trump administration. And as they point out here, it was also higher in the Obama administration. So maybe there is some legitimate backing to this, and maybe I'm the one being a little bit cynical rather than the Washington examiner. But Let's talk about the old process and then the new process. Quote, this process, known as notice and comment rulemaking, can be costly, time-consuming, and sometimes embarrassing for administrators that are forced to publish the costs of their policies. So before I keep reading, this is exactly what I was just describing. Quote, federal bureaucrats would prefer to write regulations in private without oversight or accountability from the public. In the 1970s, Congress created loopholes to allow that. Most federal environmental legislation, including the Clean Air Act, Clean Water Act, and the Endangered Species Act, include citizen suit provisions that empower activists to challenge federal agency policies in court. For example, let's say the Democrats appoint a, in the Biden administration, one to roll back some Trump-era air quality standards. But that doing so would take a lot of time and would include admitting that stricter regulations came at economic cost. So, and what they go on to describe here is there's the loophole, and it is a legal one where you can sue. And you could probably gather that from what they were describing here. But what happens is the activist group that sues, they are basically going to the EPA and saying, hey, this is a problem, we're going to take it to court. And then the EPA and them, they're basically an advisor, can come and say, okay, this is how we need to shape this different type of regulation, and hey, thank you for bringing this to our attention in the courts. Can you help us or advise us on how to go forward in a more direct manner? And they can do this all behind closed doors. And the Washington Examiner article doesn't actually describe what happens at the end of the process. My assumption, and this is an assumption, will be something similar to the fact that now they both come back to the table, it's like a plea agreement, and they go in front of the court and they say, uh, yes, uh, your ju justice, we have, or judge, we have come to this conclusion that this amendment to the EPA's blah, 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 section 1842 regulation is now very, very helpful, and we are happy that we were able to work with the EPA on this case. And the EPA says, oh, thank you to our friends over, or this, I guess, in this administration, the Washington Examiner would probably say that these are their friends, but they would say, hey, these activists... Thank you for coming and bringing this to our attention. We're happy that we were able to work with you, and now this new l regulation will be put on the books to 
this, you know, fix water for puppies or something to that effect. So this is a very roundabout way. And the reason that it is so sad to see certain things like this, in my opinion, is the whole point of having the system that we have is that we can hold our leaders accountable. We've already lost some of that control as a nation in having so much of the tasks and the day-to-day lawmaking and the day-to-day regulation making and so on and so forth being exported to bureaucratic administrative agencies that have basically executive power and can legislate from their offices. So not only do we lose direct control, and I'm not saying that we should have direct democracy, but not only do we lose control to some degree because we can't actually elect these bureaucrats. They sit in these administrative state agencies and stay around for a long time. And the other aspect of it is we lose accountability. So even even when we don't actually have the power to directly vote some of these administrative workers, at least they have to publish their findings, they have to publish their ideas, they have to say, well, this is probably what it's going to cost, this is how we're going to implement it. They have to come out into the public, put it out there, and then we can comment on it, we can criticize it. If there's a whole bunch of people, if one thing goes, especially nowadays with the internet, if one thing goes really viral, if one section of a rule or new proposed regulation goes viral, then it could be flooded with comments. Now, you would probably have to be in the political circles in order for a whole bunch of people to get motivated to go do that. But still, the possibility is there. But now they've removed this comment period. They remove the public eye that is so important for watching over the people that are meant to enable us to live our lives in the best way possible, that are meant to ensure that we have the freedom and in this country to operate freely, but also to some people who may be more disposed to safety to also ensure that we can live in this world in a safe way. Imagine they put through, or an activist group sues a a agency under a different administration. Imagine if this is Trump. Imagine if it's an oil-friendly administration, and you're a person who's an environmentalist, and you think that any more fossil fuel usage, any more deregulation on the oil industry is a bad thing. And they come through. And you, the reason you believe that, just so we're putting a little bit of an empathetic or an emotional tone in there, is because you've been personally damaged by having a coal plant right down the road from you. And then they go into a lawsuit, they do all this arbitrating behind closed doors, and they come out afterwards saying, oh yes, we're actually going to limit the amount of scrubbers or filters that we're forcing coal mines in blah, 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 location to uh, or this far away from houses in order to allow them to produce more coal or so on and so forth. And they come out with this regulation without you allowing to comment on it, without you being able to put in your personal opinion of how you've been hurt by these coal plants being so close to your homes and having terrible filtration systems. Imagine that. Imagine your voice can't be heard, that your experience which is exactly what everybody brings to the table in a republic slash democracy. Their experience, their point of view, their gained wisdom throughout all of their years as a citizen of this nation in order to best choose who they want to represent them and who is going to put forth a vision of the nation or a vision of their country, the vision of their state, the vision of their county that is going to stay consistent with how you view the world while also moving us in a way that you see I don't want to say profitable, and I want to say good, because that's too general. 
but as productive, a way that you think that we should be going in the future. And now your, your opinion doesn't matter. There was somebody elected, whether it was by you or some of your friends, there was a Democrat or Republican put in the White House who put all of these bureaucrats in office or at least had some part to play in getting them into these different agencies, and they are just making up rules. Now, let's be clear. It doesn't mean that it's not always backed by science, but remember, when you have an activist group suing, they are activist groups because they have a particular goal in mind. It doesn't mean that their goal is unscientific, but they are aiming for something because they truly believe something. And just because you believe something doesn't make it true. And just because you believe you believe it doesn't mean you have the best solution in order to get to wherever you want to get or the best solution to any given problem or type of regulation. So that's why this is extremely dangerous. And when I say dangerous, I'm being a little bit hyperbolic. I should move back. It's just annoying and concerning because it is directly taking away the power that we should have as members of this society the power to criticize those in power. That is a key part of any government or any free government where we can directly call out King George and say, hey, man, you do not have any pants on. And, you know, someone who doesn't have pants on, we don't think that he should be able to represent us. And I don't want to deny that the activist groups at least have some part to play here. They represent a contingency of the population that is willing to come together and believe something more strongly than others. But in this process, even though they do represent some part of the population, their point of view, their minority point of view, because an activist group is not likely to have more than 50% of the population within that activist group, otherwise it would probably just be called a political party, that activist group should not be able to completely outweigh and outstrip the opinions of the people who will be affected directly by this regulation. And there's a more nuanced conversation to be had there, but to be honest, I don't think I'm smart enough to necessarily have it. So let's jump to our last article that comes. It was kind of a shock when I first read it, I won't lie to you. And it comes from Alternet. Brazen violation of the free press. Cops defend raid on Kansas newspaper as publisher's mother dies from shock and grief. And yes, you, you did hear that correctly. The publisher's mother, who was also a part owner of the newspaper, she unfortunately passed away after the raid was conducted on their house. Uh, they say here that it was, quote, the newspaper reported Saturday that Joan Meyer, which is the mother in question, stressed beyond her limits and overwhelmed by hours of shock and grief, had collapsed and died, which is it's so unfortunate that something like this happens. And I, I believe, you know, she was 98 years old. I believe that any amount of extra stress was probably not good for her at all, especially when they're coming after her son and to some degree coming after her newspaper. So I'm praying for her son, Eric. I'm praying for her. And it's, it's sad to see. And I just wanted to start with that acknowledgement so we understand the weight of this conversation. And then also there's another aspect to it, which is the freedom of press, the freedom of speech, and how that may be infringed here. And to be clear, I'm not going to take a side on which one's right or which one's wrong because I'm not a legal expert. 
And this is something where I have not done extensive research, so I can't even pretend to be a legal expert or I can't even pretend to have a deep breath of knowledge. I'm just giving pure opinion in this section. So let's go to the first paragraph so we get an understanding of what's going on. Quote, Marion County police on Saturday defended their unprecedented raid on a newspaper office in the publisher's home by pointing to a federal loophole that protects journalists from searches and seizures. Law enforcement raided Marion County record on Friday, seizing computers and the reporter's personal cell phones as part of an investigation into alleged identity theft of a restaurant operator who feuded with the newspaper. Officers also raided the home of the publisher, Eric Meyer, who lived with his 98-year-old mother, Joan. So, that really sets up, end quote, that really sets up how this story is starting to unravel. You have a person who felt aggrieved. They felt like the newspaper got information from either their account or one of their different government uh, accounts and did in a really scummy way, and they leaked or at least talked about some of her previous criminal record, and it really, really upset her. So she was coming after the newspaper. And then, well, guess what? After she came after the newspaper and there was this kind of back and forth, they decided to open up a criminal case, the police did, into the newspaper possibly participating in identity theft. And then... This is how it went down. So the police are directly coming in to this newspaper. They're seizing people's phones. They're taking all these documents, and they're basically persecuting them for reporting on a story. Now, maybe they obtain that information in an unethical way or an illegal way. I think that will definitely be the brunt of this conversation because the way they make it sound here in this alternate article is that he actually, Eric, actually got the information from somebody else. And if he's the one publishing it and not actually getting the information, then that would probably put him more closer to a whistleblower status, or I'm saying not actually a whistleblower because he's not a federal employee, but closer to a whistleblower statute where he's just reporting the information, just like Julian Assange, who got the information but didn't actually uh, got the information from an informant, I should say, and didn't actually hack the government in order to actually get that information in the first place. He's just a publisher. So maybe it will be along those lines. And I think that that's probably the tack that the owner here or the publisher is probably going to go about defending their publishing of this article. Quote, Eric Meyer, the newspaper publisher, said a confidential source had provided documents that Newell had been convicted of drunk in driving in 2008 and had driven in without a license. A reporter used KDOR website to verify the information was accurate, but the newspaper decided not to publish the story about the information. And that right there, end quote, that is the other key part of this. They didn't even publish the story. They didn't even put this information out there into the wider public. So they didn't actually have the ability to affect Miss Newell's public reputation. They didn't even have the ability, sorry, they had the ability, but they didn't actually go forward with putting out the story that would hurt her public reputation. So now did the person or the source that gave them this information 
Did that source possibly or probably violate the law considering this raid went forward and the police probably wouldn't do so unless they saw good reason in order to do that? Yes, he probably violated the law. But just as Chelsea Manning violated the law when she came after or gave the information to Julian Assange, it, it doesn't mean that Assange has to necessarily give her up. It doesn't mean that Meyer has to give up his source. Imagine what happens if you have somebody who is a criminal. They've done criminal activity in the past, but they have an understanding, or let's make it even better. So you have a mob boss. You have someone who has been involved in the mob. They have a deep understanding of what's been going on, and they want to report to a reporter about some things that they don't agree with going on at the top of the mob, or they just want to get it off their chest. They want to talk about these issues and bring some of them to light because they're starting to be reformed. And then the cops say, oh, well, yes, this this activity is bad, but also, but also, we know that this mobster, he's been violating the law. We know that because he's part of the mob, he's part of the family, he's a mob boss. He obviously has some understanding of what's going on, so we're going to go after him too. And it kind of is different because identity theft is a different crime, but imagine it that way. Imagine that instead of going after the bigger fish, instead of going after the bigger crime, they go after the person who gave the information. They're going after the newspaper in order to get information about this confidential source. And I, I think this is a legal area, gray area. It's very tricky. And that's why I'm not pretending to be the you know big legal expert on this one. I just think it's something that we need to point out. They didn't publish the article. They got the information from a confidential informant or an informant who doesn't work at the newspaper. But also, they did have to go through and get her license information and get a criminal background or a criminal record on her. So it's one of those tricky areas. We'll see how it all pans out. It's just also a sad story to hear about Mr. Meyer's mother passing away and how this event has been stressful, not just for him, but not just for her, but the entire community and probably for the Kansas legal system for a while because they're going to really have to decide where freedom of press ends and criminality begins and so on and so forth. All right, so let's jump to our daily delight. This one is a very, very cute video of a young Asian elephant, and he can't stop and won't stop being adorable. So he kind of rolls around on the ground for a little bit. He's just kind of playing. And this video came out on Saturday, quote, Saturday, August 12th, ahead of the special day that was World Elephant Day. So they actually, sorry, they released it on Friday, and Saturday the 12th was yesterday from when I'm recording this two days from now, if you're listening on the very first day that this goes live, was World Elephant Day. And if you want to go back and posthumously, or not posthumously, if you want to belatedly celebrate the World Elephant Day and see a cute video of it, or you want to read any of today's other articles, there'll be a link in the description below that like and subscribe button. Also down there, you can find the link to this podcast on Spotify, Pocket Cast, Google Podcast, Podvine, as well as the Twitter handle. Yes, I'm still calling it Twitter, where I post a Twitter tirade every Tuesday and Thursday. Ten minutes, really short content. Not so scripted, not all about news and not reading from articles, but more talking about issues or just 
a conversation that I think is very interesting at the time. And if you want to give my opinions or give my thoughts another listen, you can head over there. With all that said, there's only one more thing to say. Stay safe. Don't die.